1: We're talking real money. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to the Talking Real Money Podcast. I'm Don McDonald, recording this on a Friday. So if it's Friday, it must be questions and answers. Back where they belong, all is right with the world. Yes, it feels better. Oh, that's, that's much nicer questions and answers where they belong not going to talk about the events of the week in the market because we're back to where it's going up a little it's going down a little it's going up a little going down a little doing what the market's supposed to do we've still got the awful war but this is the way things work so sit back relax and enjoy questions submitted by folks just like you either by calling them in and leaving them at 855 nine three five talk or since so many people have pretty darn decent microphones on their computers you can record your questions really really easily without making a phone call and they sound pretty good at talkingrealmoney.com on the contact form and that is from where our first question comes
2: hey guys thanks for all that you're doing for folks I turned 50 last year and found you guys and Paul Merriman have been soaking up info for the last three or four months. We've done well over the last 10 years or so without much proper education other than use index funds and stay away from high fees or individual stocks. I've learned that we've been way too focused on large cap blend and have been working to properly diversify the equities portion of our holdings, which is roughly 60% in my 401k with Vanguard, and 40% in several IRAs, traditional and Roth, with Fidelity. Um, after debating portfolio choices, four fund combo, two funds for life, simple target date, etc., I've settled on following Paul's ultimate buy and hold approach because it seems to be the best way to get all our bases covered, given some limited fund choices in the 401k. Um, the basic plans to select the best six equity classes from the 401k options, and then select funds for the remaining four asset classes in the IRAs where we have many more choices. Four of the asset classes in the 401k fit well and have low fees, large cap blend, small cap blend, international large cap, and US REIT. The 401k also has US large cap value, DODGX with an expense ratio of 0.52% and international large cap value DoDFX, expense ratio 0.63%. Those are available, but I'm curious about your opinions on the performance and fees of these two funds. To me, it seems the fees are a bit higher than the funds I would have picked. RPV for large value and EFV for international value. But I'm also wondering if I'm overthinking things. Um, So thanks again, guys, for all that you're doing. Really appreciate it. Take care.
1: Tom and I are big fans of Ultimate Buy and Hold because we worked with Paul back in the early days of the Ultimate Buy and Hold strategy. We had a little bit of something to do with it. It was Paul's invention, but we really do like the concept because it does give you great diversification and it overemphasizes some of those asset classes that have shown a propensity to make more money why because they involve taking more risk it's a pretty simple concept and and one that seems to elude a lot of people i love your idea of trying to get your best your, your get your basics in your 401k at work that's great. And I hope you said you had Vanguard in your 401k. So I'm hoping that's where your ba- your four come from. Your four basic funds are coming out of there. However, Dodge & Cox, hmm, uh, you know, they're not, a, I, I mean, I, I, I've got no beef with Dodge & Cox. I think they manage a good fund. My issue, again, comes back to the expenses and the reduced diversification. I mean, for example, the Dodge & Cox stock fund, the DODGX that you're looking at, that only has 72 stocks in it. That is relatively well-focused, which means, generally speaking, more volatility. Yeah, you can have better uptimes, but you also have worse downtimes. And at 0.52 for that and then 0.63 for the international value, I think you're paying up. And you're not getting a big enough portfolio. I but But I don't like RPV all that much. And I don't like EFV all that much. The uh, The RPV is Invesco S&P 500 value. And the EFV is, I, I believe that's an iShares international value. Both of those have mm, high expenses themselves. I wouldn't go with those. Because you can use anything in your Fidelity IRA. Instead... I would take advantage of some newbies with lower expenses coming out of the Avantis funds, which are basically a spinoff from Dimensional Funds. And uh, there, look at AVLV, which is their large cap value, and AVIV, which is their international large cap value. Both of these are ETFs. And get this, the U.S. portfolio, because it's less expensive to buy U.S. stocks than international, has an expense ratio of 0.15, 0.15. Now we're talking real money long-term. And the A-V-I-V, the international, is only 0.25. And we're big believers in if you can get a comparable fund for less money, you get the comparable fund for less money. If you can get a fund for less money that has greater diversification, well then, it's a win-win-win, win-win-win-win-win-win-win. We just win all over the place. We're winning like crazy. So uh, I would take a look at the Avantis funds. You can buy them through Fidelity with no fees because they're ETFs. They're not funds. They're ETFs. Really, really, really well diversified. Uh, they're doing exactly what you'd expect because <laughs> they're they're that market. They're just emulators. They just they just buy the market, buy the small cap value market, or the I'm sorry, the large cap value marketplace. Thanks so much for your question rick we appreciate it and another one comes in from the same source from talkingrealmoney.com slash contact recorded in the caller's own voice like this
3: hey dan and tim my dad listens to you guys every day and told me that if i said that you guys would get a good chuckle i don't really get it but anyway my name is madison i am 21 and my dad started a roth for me at 19 He has me in a five-fund ETF portfolio, and I'm wondering if you think I'm diversified enough to withstand this current downward trending market and if these fees are pretty good. I have 35% total US ITOT, 30% total international IXUS, 15% small-cap value AVUV, 10% emerging markets AVEM, and 10% REITs AVRE. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, your, your dad pays attention. It did make me chuckle. It did. The only reason is because people are always getting our names wrong, Madison. That's that's why. I know it. it's a stupid joke, but people are always calling us other names. So that was pretty funny. Thank you for that. <laughs> wow. 21. Oh, wow. It was so nice to when I was 21. It was confusing and stuff, but man, was I young then. Congratulations on being young. You'll get old. Sorry. But your dad. Did he do that? If you did that, big congrats. But I have a sneaking notion. Your dad did that because it sounds like something we do. And he listens a lot. Uh, Man, man, man. See, all I can say is, man, that's a good portfolio, Madison. 21 years old. You've got great diversification. They're low-fee ETFs. You got the bases covered. Somebody somewhere was paying attention. And Madison, let me tell you something that I can state with almost 100% certainty. The market is going to fluctuate. That that I can say with 100% certainty, okay? It will fluctuate. With almost 100% certainty, I can tell you it will go up more than it goes down. It ha- It has. So here's the deal. When it's down, buy more. Buy more. Or just steadily buy, because when you buy in a market like this, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30, 40 years from now, you are not, not, not going to remember this downturn in the market, no matter how severe it might get at some point. And that's assuming it does. We don't know. But I can tell you, if you keep adding to this portfolio over the next 40 years, over the next 20 years, heck, over the next 10, you can almost stop you will enjoy such a comfortable life in that period you probably don't think you'll ever get to uh, known as your 60s or your 70s or whatever <laughs> trust me I didn't think I didn't think I'd live this long and here I am and I sure as heck feel more like 21 than I do 60 blank so very impressed. Very pleased you're doing this. You've got an incredible father. You really do. If this is really as as bright as you sound and as pleasant as you sound, if he did that for you and this for you, he's done enough. He doesn't need to do anymore. He's done enough. Tell him good job. Thanks so much, Dad. I don't need you anymore. No, you do. I'm kidding. <laughs> I hope my daughter could daughter's three continue to need me thank you madison you made my afternoon i appreciate it and let's see no one can top that we should just end it right now don't you think no we are going to move forward to our next question that comes in from the same darned source which is talkingrealmoney.com on the contact form
4: Hi, Tom. Hi, Don. I had a question about solo 401ks or i401ks. So here's the deal. I have a Roth IRA with Vanguard and a taxable brokerage account with Vanguard. However, I do not have a 401k because my employer does not offer a 401k option. And because I do gig work on the side, and I'm considered an independent contractor, therefore I'm eligible to open up a solo 401k and I think I'm going to go with Vanguard for solo 401k but I do have just two questions one do you think it's a good idea and it doesn't make sense to open up a solo 401k and two if I do open up a solo 401k and I already have a Roth IRA does it make sense to open up a solo 401k in the Roth version as well or just a regular solo 401k? Thanks. First question,
1: yes. The answer is yes. It makes sense. Because there's going to be a tax advantage one way or the other. So, yeah, it makes sense. Plus, you're putting more money away for retirement. All good things. All good things. I would absolutely do it if I had that, that ability. If I was eligible. And you are. Roth or regular? That is the question. Whether it is No, oh, no, no, that's sorry, that's Shakespeare. Um No, I don't know. Nobody knows the answer to this question. It's really hard to answer. It's really impossible. Because the correct answer depends on the unknowable. Now we can kind of hone in on a better answer, a decent answer by guessing. You know how much you make now. You know what your tax liability is now. Is there likely more benefit to a tax deduction by which you have more money to save because you're in a high bracket now and expect to be in a potentially lower bracket in the future? For example, you have very high-paying jobs. You know, you're making quarter of a million dollars a year, half a million dollars a year. And when you retire, you're expecting to live on a lot less than that because you're not going to live the same lifestyle. So you are gonna you're gonna live on a lot less money. Some of it would be Social Security, not as heavily taxed, et cetera, Uh, then maybe it makes sense to go with the regular 401k to get the tax deduction today. If you expect you're gonna save so much that you're gonna be in a higher bracket in the future because of RMDs and the like, Uh, which would happen from a 401k. Then you want the Roth from which you don't have to take RMDs and from which distributions are both more flexible and tax-free. So that really is the question without there. And there cannot be a solid all-the-time answer. It just can't can't exist because we don't know what the future is going to look like. So those are the determinants. That's the way I would look at it. And thank you for the call. I really do appreciate it. And, you know, I'm looking at my list and I realized I don't think I have any um, <laughs> any phone calls. I think they're all online ones. Because one of them that I thought was a call turns out to be just somebody who hung up and it was a long, busy signal. Uh, so let's take yet another that came in through TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form.
5: Hey, Tom and Don. Mike from Colorado. Hey, just had a comment. Um... I was listening to your show recently and you guys had mentioned Comenity Direct Bank had a pretty good rate and um, I checked it with the bankrate.com and I believe it was 0.75%. Well, I said, I might as well apply for this and park some money over there. I did and it rejected me and I thought, well, oh, maybe it's because my my credit lines were frozen, although I thought I had it unfrozen temporarily, but well, I'm just a little confused as to why they advertise that rate. And for people like me and my wife were well over the six figure income and credit rating over 800. And I'm just curious if you guys, uh, Don or Tom, have tried applying for that bank account, if you had any issues, um, because I, I I just thought that's very surprising that I would get rejected the way it rejected me pretty quick on an email. Anyway, just my thoughts Hope you guys are having a good day and uh, appreciate the show as always. Bye.
1: Well, my goodness, that is very, very strange. I just listened to your call for the first time. I took a break from recording and I went in to Comenity and set up an account and moved 5000 from my savings over there. Because my savings at Bank of America is making nothing. 0.75 sounded good. Um, And I didn't have a single problem in the world. Nothing. I was approved. It's all set. I'm baffled. I'm sure you're baffled. I have no idea why you were declined. None whatsoever. I would imagine that uh, even at 0.75, they just love to get as many clients in there with as much money as possible, given that their credit card rates... I'm reading directly from their uh, their own disclosure document. They run from 17.99 to 24.99 based on your credit worthiness. <laughs> so, holy cow. Um, and 27, 26.99 for balance transfers. So, if they're making 27% and they're paying me 0.7, they're, they're making out like bandits. Even with a lot of defaults. You can afford you can afford a lot of defaults at a rate like that, a whole lot of defaults. So I anyway, I'm I'm stumped. I'm baffled. I'm putting your question on, but I don't know the answer. You might want to contact them, email them, or uh, good luck calling. But you might want to email them and ask them why. I don't know. Thanks for the call though, or the question that you sent into talkingrealmoney.com dot and uh, now we're going to do another one from the same source.
6: Hi, Tom and Don. My name is Chuck. I live here on Whidbey Island in Seattle area. I have written in before and I've had the pleasure of working with Tom and his team at Vestry with some free consultation. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciated that. My question today is around, not around investing, but more around overall money and How to handle residential real estate on my taxes. There is an option to use the QBI or qualified business income uh, route when claiming your rentals. And I wondered if you had any opinions on that. I have uh, three rental active rentals that I manage entirely myself. I've gone through all the uh, qualifications and exclusions that the IRS has published and other uh, references on the web. And I see no reason why I shouldn't uh, use it. It seems like a good option. And I I just really would like to see if I can get your opinion on that. And I think other listeners might find it helpful too. Thank you very much.
1: Well, I'm going to take a swing, just a a glancing swing, barely at the, oh, I hate, we, we both hate tax questions more than anything because neither of us are accountants nor did we ever want to be accountants. we we are not accountants. don't don't have those skills. I admire those who do, but it's not me. However, the qualified business the QBI deduction, the qualified business deduction uh, if you you got to meet all the requirements as you said, it's a 25 or 20 percent qualified business income deduction, for people who run what is called an enterprise or a business with their real estate. You can have one property and it can still be treated as a business. This is why we we say that people who buy individual pieces of real estate are not investing. they're running a business and the government recognizes that. Uh, the, but it has to be a regular continuous, rental activity it can't have other forms of income coming in from it like you you can't have a business that you run out of the real estate and get that um, and uh, there are things you like for example you've got to work on servicing the properties 250 or more hours a year. So, again, yeah, if you meet all those qualifications, then that's what the law was created for. I am not going to say you qualify because that would – I can't. It would be totally irresponsible. Um, But I – and I definitely – when you're dealing with a business at this level, with taxes at this level, I sure hope you have a CPA – helping you with those taxes, and they should be the ones to whom you put these questions. I, I would not, if I was at this level of running a, a business, I, when I ran my own businesses, I never did my own business taxes, in, you know, unless it was little sole proprietorship things, uh, uh, contractor things. Uh, I've always had accountants because you need advice, and you do. You need advice. And let's see. Yeah, we're doing pretty well on time. We're going to fit one more in. I don't know how many that is, but I'm going to do one more, and then we're going to call it a podcast. So here we go to another one that came in from TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. We like them that way. Not typed, but spoken. Hello, Tom and Don. My question is whether there is ever a
3: purpose for a stable value fund in my 457 or 403B. I have been investing very early and I'm about three years from retirement. I don't have a lot of cash set aside except for an emergency fund. And when I retire, I would like to have two years of cash reserves and kind of follow um, the bucket system with cash and cash equivalents for short-term needs, bonds for intermediate needs, uh, another eight years worth and then stocks for 10 years and beyond. In order to get the cash needed when I make the leap and retire, I could just divert money from my 457 and 403B into a high yield savings account, but I'd really rather have uh, the tax advantage in the case of the regular uh, 457 contributions. I also contribute to the Roth in the 457. Uh, so my alternative to just diverting cash and sucking away in an online bank would be, as I see it, to use the stable value fund. So my question again, is that a good idea or what would be an alternative idea?
1: Your connection sounded a little bit like it was underwater, but hey, uh, stable value funds. We're generally not huge fans of stable value funds because it's a gimmicky product. It's corporate bonds usually with an insurance product attached to provide coverage if bonds go under and that extra fee. So you're getting higher yields on the bonds, but that's detracting some from that higher yield and the expenses on stable value funds tend to be very high. So we're not really huge fans of them. And and I'm not sure I understand why you would want one in your 457. You said you're trying to work out these buckets and one of the buckets is emergency liquidity, Well, that emergency liquidity bucket should not be inside a retirement account. That's the last place your emergency bucket should be. Your emergency bucket should be outside of your retirement account in a cash-style account like the one I talked about earlier at at Comenity, which is immediately available. It will, because it's FDIC-insured, have no risk of loss. It does not fluctuate in value. The yield will fluctuate, and it's immediately available on any business day. So you can get it for a real emergency. So uh, too much gimmickry. I'm not a fan of gimmicky products, and I think stable value funds are definitely gimmicky products. Ah, oh, time to call it a Friday. Now, remember, on Saturdays, we all get together. As a matter of fact, I, I depends on when you're listening to this, but if you're listening to this on Friday the 24th, or 25th, sorry, got confused, uh, Tom is going to be in studio with me. He's flying to Florida right now as I'm recording this, and we'll be taking your calls at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, on Saturday from 3 to 5 Eastern. So you can call us live during those hours, not record your question, but actually converse with us. We'd love to hear from you every Saturday from three to five Eastern noon to two Pacific at eight, five, five, nine, three, five talk. And please tell others about the podcast. We really do appreciate you sharing it and we want to make this as big as possible. So, uh, tell everybody, you know, put it on your social media, click the link to this one and, uh, share it on social media. And if you really like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can rate us on Spotify. I think that pretty much does it. Oh, yeah, and if you want to attend our big retirement event, retire meet coming up in May, go sign up at retiremeet.com. RetireMeet, spelled either way, dot com. I'm Don McDonald, and uh, for a few more minutes, until Tom's plane gets in, I'm going to uh, read a little bit more about and eventually talk about real money
0: is provided as a public service by Appella capital a fee-only registered investment advisor thanks for listening and please visit talkingrealmoney.com for more information and disclosures that to keep the lawyers happy